Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. My lips will always praise him. And I've told the whole community of those who worship you what you have done to save me. Lord, you know I haven't kept quiet. Let's not keep quiet today. Let's sing out for him. Your love is devoted. 
Yeah. 
lift you up with praises what we mean is that we want to lift you up in our hearts and minds and put you first Lord I pray that you would help us make those words that you are our champion true in our lives help us live that way when I think about that word champion it reminds me that you are a victor that you win that you have defeated sin and death and that you've done that on our behalf and that word also reminds me that you champion us Lord you encourage us. You are for us. You're in our corner. We praise you for it. We want that. We need that. Uh, we recognize our need for you today. Lord, I pray that everything that is spoken on this stage, everything that is done, every lyric that is sung, uh, as, we, as we celebrate communion, as we give, everything that we do, I pray that we would do it in your name. We pray these things in that name. Amen. Starting next Sunday, we start into a brand new series called That's a Great Question, which is a series that was ultimately built by many of you who sent in questions uh, through our online form and all kinds of different questions to, to dive into. And so for five weeks, we're going to answer those questions or as many of them as we can in those five weeks. But I got to tell you that, that, that I was kind of geared up for some questions that didn't show up. Um, I was even starting to, to study down some roads that I thought were important because I thought for sure these questions were going to come out. I, what didn't come out in any of the questions that we received, there were no questions about aliens. And there were no questions about life on other planets or, or dinosaurs or evolution or the age of the earth. I was anticipating that. But instead, um, we got some really deep, deep questions uh, things about sin and, and suffering and discussions about the character of God and, and the continuation of the character of God and the consistency of the character of God. We have questions about heaven and, and some questions about kind of our culture and our society and, and how that all mixes together with what the Bible says. Some really head-scratcher stuff that we're going to be diving into over the next five weeks. And so that's on its way. On the other side of that series is um, the beginning of September and what is really a reset and a reboot for so many different things around here at First Christian, but quite specifically, and maybe most importantly, uh, a, a reset for our life group ministry around here. Life groups are the way that we stay connected with one another. Life groups are the way that we're in relationship with one another and the way that we kind of are in relationship with our God as we study together in those life groups. And so here's what we're asking, that as we get to September, 
we are gonna start into a six-week series that's all about following Jesus. And for those six weeks, our goal is that all of the adults here at First Christian Church for those six weeks would be in a life group, okay? And let me be clear. Not that you would say, yeah, I'm in a life group, but you haven't actually been to a life group in two years, but you say that you're in a life group, but that you're actually in a life group, okay? That you're actually meeting with people on a weekly basis, one time a week for those six weeks. And that means that if we were gonna have everybody be involved in a life group, we're gonna need a lot more life groups. And so starting this past week, we have been connecting with a lot of you to ask you to consider to be hosts for brand new life groups. Now, we're not asking you to be hosts for brand new life groups forever, but for those six weeks, and then we're gonna see what God does from there. But my comment to you is that if you are asked to be a host for a life group, that you would take that seriously, that you would not just brush it off and decide that that's probably something everybody got and somebody else will do it, but that you would consider being a host for a life group for those six weeks. And it may mean that you're in a life group already and you're being asked to step out of that life group for a little while to lead for those six weeks, and we're gonna ask you to do that. Okay, I want you to take that seriously and consider and prayerfully consider doing that. And then once we have all of our hosts together, somewhere around the middle of August, we're gonna present all the opportunities that exist in our community for you to come and be a part of a life group and ask everyone to join in and be a part of the life group for those six weeks as we study what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So that's a huge emphasis that's coming in September. But we're not done with the series we're in yet. And so today... We're gonna finish up this series that we have on trees, which is maybe seems a little weird to start with. We call it Forest of Faith, but it's a series about the different trees that are in the Bible, and not all of them, but some of them, and the lessons that we learn from them. And so along the way, we've looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we've looked at the tree that burned but didn't burn up, or the bush that burned and didn't burn up. We've looked at the fig tree that Jesus cursed, and yet it seemed out of character, and it seemed like Jesus was maybe just having a bad day, but that wasn't the case, and there was a lesson for us to learn there. But today, we're going to end this series with a tree that actually shows up and bookends the entire narrative of the Bible. We're going to look at the tree of life today. The tree of life is a tree that shows up in the very first few pages of the Bible and then also shows up in the very last page of the Bible. It shows up in Genesis chapter two and three, and then it also shows up all the way in Revelation chapter 22. No other tree has the honor of being in both of those places. And yet the, the mention of the tree of life in both of those places is not a coincidence, and it's not some oversight like we ran out of names to name trees, and so the tree of life got accidentally named the tree of life when it got to, to Revelation No, there's a reason that the tree is in both places. And as significant as the tree is and will be, since the tree of life is a tree that we can't go and touch and that isn't tangible for us and there's not parts of it that are sitting in a museum somewhere, since we we can't quite get our hands on the tree of life, there are some people who see the tree of life as this really mysterious thing. And they even see the tree of life as maybe something that didn't really exist, that it was maybe just a symbol, that it was just something that was sitting out there. It was almost like poetry, the tree of life was. And I recognize that poetry can be beautiful, and poetry can be meaningful, and I know that there are all these emotions that can be attached to the great writings from the great poets. But as I've studied and and looked into the tree of life, 
what seems to make more sense than anything else is that this was a real tree and that it was a a literal tree that did exist and will exist and is exactly as it is described in the book of Genesis. Back a few weeks ago when we were talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we actually came across the tree of life. And here's what we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees that were placed right in the middle of the garden that were different than all the other trees, and these two trees were very significant, and, and, and they were very special trees. They were important trees. And as the description in the book of Genesis unfolds, we see why. It becomes, it becomes clear that these trees that exist in the middle of the garden that are specifically named the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were significant to the relationship that existed between Adam and Eve and God. And that there was a connection between these trees and that relationship. In addition to that, these trees were also connected to the difference that exists between all of the biological beings that are on the earth and humans. Because we're different. There's all kinds of ways that you can describe that we're different than the animals that are on the earth. But really the biggest most overriding difference that exists between humans and all the other beings is that we are more than just biological beings. We are also spiritual beings and our spiritual selves are connected to these trees that are in the middle of the Garden of Eden. And that spiritual kinship that spiritual relationship that we share with God, it's that relationship that got torn when Adam and Eve showed our propensity to disobey God. And when we disobeyed God by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when humans showed themselves capable of that, it was in that moment that a root started to grow that caused some massive misunderstandings and huge hurt feelings between us and God that actually exist for all of us even today. There are some moments that followed that moment where Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and some ramifications of that moment and everything that transpired after that that we read about in Genesis chapter three that has trickled all the way down to you and to me, where we start to wonder about God's motives too. And we forget about the relationship that existed between Adam and Eve and God for a period of time. And in doing so, we miss out and we don't understand the love of God that was present in our lives even during the worst moment in our history. Do you remember being a teenager? 
okay? Let me stretch that out a little bit. Do you remember the first decade of double digits in your life? Okay, so let's take age 10 to 20. Okay, do you remember age 10 to 20? Some of you in the room are in that range right now. Okay, 10 to 20 is right where you're at right now. For others of us, that is a decade that was longer ago than we think. Okay, but do you remember that time? Because during that decade of life, for every single one of us who are in that decade, and every single one of us who can remember that decade, there were so many times when we were not thrilled with the decisions that were being made for us. There were so many times that we disagreed with what we weren't allowed to do. There were so many times that we wanted to push back against the things that we were being forced to do. And we were frustrated by all of that. And it was during that decade, during that time between between 10 and 20 years old, that we started to develop and perfect a facial expression that we would share with anyone who would force us to do what we didn't want to do or those people who would not allow us to do what we want to do. And it was a facial expression that so perfectly displayed our disgust and our disappointment in the injustice being leveled against us. It was a look about how unfair everything is. Do you you know the look that I'm talking about? It's a look that you perfected at some point in your life. And then we became parents. And though we had perfected the look ourselves, it seemed completely different to see the same look coming back at us from our own kids. And we know that look because that look came from the fact that we thought we knew everything. That between 10 and 20 years old, we had figured everything out. And since we knew it all, what was being leveled against us was a massive conspiracy from all adults leveled at us because they just didn't understand and they didn't know how much we knew. And then we got older. And as we got older, we learned some things. And as we got older, some more water went underneath the bridge. And as we got older, we figured something out. Kids don't know what they don't know. And that's a very real principle. That they don't know what they don't know. And and you can't help them know what they don't know. And back then, there was no way to know that we didn't know And there was no way to know what we didn't know and didn't understand. And so we were left to feel as though we already knew everything. And from what we could tell, we were now victims of those who didn't know as much as we knew, who were trying to impose their lack of knowledge on our lives and bring great injustice and unfairness into our life. Does that resonate with your teenage self? Well, the same paradigm exists between us and God in our relationship 
with him. And specifically, it exists since the very next mention of the tree of life in Scripture. See, once Adam and Eve had brought disobedience into this relationship between us and God, there's a conversation that God has with himself. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, it says this, The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And the teenager inside of us, that person between 10 and 20 that's never really gone away, he still lives, she still lives inside of us. And we look at those words, and what we take away from that is that God is trying to keep something from us. That God is jealous of who we are capable of being, and he is somehow trying to keep us out of the garden and keep us down. But we don't know what we don't know. And one of the things that we don't know, and one of the things that none of us, no matter what age we are, have, has ever experienced, is the reality of what life was prior to the moment that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And prior to that moment in the history of us, we were innocent. We were without the pressures and the tensions of understanding or participating in or living in a world that was surrounded by anything but good. At that moment in time, we were living in paradise. And in that paradise, there was no bad. And in that paradise, there was no death, there was no decay, there was no illness, no hurt feelings, no misunderstandings, no arguments, no confrontations. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, literally, not figuratively, but literally, brought in thoughts and plans and understanding of manipulation, evil, selfishness, and pride. Prior to that moment, that never existed. Now, God already knew that those manipulations were possible, but Adam and Eve had no idea. They were innocent. They were pure versions of us, and it's not that they were unintelligent, and it's not even that they were extremely and incredibly naive. They were just not manipulators. And God knew that those ways were possible but abstained from those ways. But when we had suddenly knowledge of good and evil, we were not capable of abstaining. And so in little tiny ways and in really big ways, we would use the knowledge of good and evil to degrade life. And since that's what we were now capable of, 
the worst thing that could happen for mankind. The worst thing that could take place from that point forward when we knew what we were capable of doing in terms of good and evil and manipulation and selfishness and pride was the continuation of that version of us. See, the tree of life had fruit on it, true, on it too. And, and if we take literally what we read in the book of Genesis and specifically what we read in the book of Revelation, the eating of the fruit of the tree of life is what sustained the everlasting eternal existence of us. And so the idea of not aging and not decaying and not dying and not having illness, it all happened through the fruit of the tree of life. And so if we were allowed to stay in the garden and we were allowed to continue to eat of the tree of life with this jaded, impure, manipulative version of our biological self and our spiritual selves, we would be allowed to spread this decaying, everlasting cancer around the world. And so God removed us from the fruit of eternity to keep us from ultimately destroying ourselves. And this is, this is strange, and this is a completely different way to think about things, but aging and dying suddenly became a governor that was put on the machine of mankind to keep us intact until the redemption of Christ could come. And, and if you think we just weren't capable of that all that quickly, just read through just a few chapters of the Bible. Start with the moment that we leave the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three, and all you have to do is read to the time that Noah is introduced into the story in Genesis chapter six, and what you see is that mankind got weird. We are prideful, destructive, murderous, and evil as people. And so we had to be separated from the tree of life or we would have collectively lived long enough to actually end up destroying ourselves before the redemption of Christ happened. That's a really weird way to think about it, right? But get this, we don't know what we don't know. Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden and they were sorrowful. They, they, they left in tears, they left broken because they knew that they not God, but they had broken their relationship with God, that they had broken how this relationship was going to function moving forward. And they also knew that as they left the garden, they were leaving behind the life that they had previously thought was going to be everlasting. That was why they were sorrowful. But over time, We've looked at the verses that we've read about the tree of life and we've looked at the whole scenario and how it all played out and we're wondering if maybe the serpent was right. And somehow we've started to feel like we got shortchanged. That God was actually trying to keep something from us. That God was trying to keep us down. That God was trying to keep us from becoming something that we 
had always hoped we could be when we are missing out on the fact that our God was protecting us from us. We just didn't know what we didn't know. The tree of life wasn't actually kept from us, it was moved. It was moved in its placement, it was moved in the timeline to a moment when the perfect version of us could live on again forever. Like I said, the the tree of life actually bookends the entire narrative of the Bible. It shows up in Genesis chapter two and chapter three, but then if you've got your Bible open to Genesis chapter two and three, you've probably just got a couple of pages on this side, and if you took this big rest of the Bible and flipped it all the way to the back, you'd get to Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter in the whole Bible. And in Revelation chapter 22, as John's walking through the holy city, as he's walking through heaven, as he's walking through paradise, as he's walking through the new Jerusalem, this is how he describes it to us. He says, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. There's the tree that's from the Garden of Eden. But it's in a new time. And it's in a new place. But it has the same purpose. The tree that produces fruit that sustains our eternal existence and our everlasting connection with our heavenly father. The fruit of the tree of life once again provides us this non-aging, non-decaying, non-illness, non-heartache, non-terminal existence in paradise where everything has been restored and everything has been redeemed. And, and we start to see an even greater redemption from the tree of life that didn't exist and didn't need to exist back in the Garden of Eden. But the leaves on the tree are there as the healing of the nations, the healing within races and ethnic groups and class systems that we have made up and built into mankind. All that we didn't know, all of those misunderstandings, all of those misinterpretations, all of those ill feelings, and all of that hurt from person to person and nation to nation are healed. And relationships are restored and redeemed by the presence and the produce of the tree of life in paradise. The tree of life is not figurative. It is real. It's a real tree that allows us to finally understand the fullness of God's love and God's protection in a tangible way that we really couldn't fully comprehend without it. But it is there for us, waiting for us in paradise so that we can begin to know what we didn't know. but it's not enough to just know about this tree. It's not enough to just know that there was a tree of life that shows up in Genesis and the same tree shows up in Revelation 22. It's not enough to just have the knowledge of it. 
the tree of life is real and the tree of life is in place to be experienced. And the only way to experience it is through the redemption of the cross of Christ. You see, from the very beginning of time, he has wanted to have a relationship with you. And it really is that personal. There's no doubt that we can make it very general and say that God wanted to have a relationship with mankind, but it's, it's actually extremely personal to you. He wanted to have a relationship with you from the beginning of time. He has spent all of the time of our history working towards that. And the tree of life and the absence of the tree of life from the earth is actually the evidence that from the beginning of time, God has been protecting you from you. From the version of you that exists without him. And he was protecting you until he redeemed you through Jesus Christ. Christ who had the knowledge of good and evil. Christ who knew all of the things that Adam and Eve knew and that God knows while he was on this earth and yet abstained from using any of that in a manipulative way, stayed away from pride and and selfishness, stayed away from evil and manipulation, and lived a perfect life and then took that perfection and sacrificed it to redeem and save the best version of you from the beginning of time, there was a plan for the best version of you. A version that actually gets better even here on earth when we follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God dwells inside of us, the fruit of the Spirit shines through in our life. But even better than that is the version of you that is perfect in an internal existence in paradise in the presence and the availability of the tree of life in heaven. From the beginning of time, God has had you in mind. You just didn't know it. And it's okay. Because sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. I'm gonna ask our worship team to, to come on out and, and as they do, I just wanna kind of remind us about this story that from the beginning of time, God wanted a relationship with you. From the beginning of time, God has protected you from you. And from the beginning of time, God redeemed the best you forever. It's not a coincidence. It didn't just happen. From the beginning of time, he's had you in mind. But now is now. And now, He is not going to force that redemption on you. And he is not going to force that gift of forgiveness 
into your life. He leaves that gift, that redemption, that salvation, that forgiveness, that leadership, that perfection, that best version of you. He leaves it as a choice for you. The choice for paradise. The choice for the best version of you is yours. And in just a moment, we're going to sing together. And we're going to worship together. And we're going to lift our voices in praise to our God, who from the beginning of time has been for us. But if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, never said yes to that gift that he offers, to that redemption that he brings, to that salvation and that forgiveness that's possible, today can be that day. Today can be the day that you say yes to Jesus that you know what your future looks like, that you begin to see a more perfect version of you even here on this earth, that you say yes to Jesus and are baptized today, that can be a decision that you make today. And maybe there are some of us who have made that decision, but we've kind of been wandering alone for a while and we'd like to be a part of this church family that's here. That's a decision you can make today. We have folks who are gonna be up front to pray with you, to answer questions for you about those decisions or to just hear those decisions happen today if that's something you want to do. And so we invite you to come down during the song as a time of invitation. I'm gonna ask all of us to stand right now. And for the rest of us, we have an opportunity to recognize that from the beginning of time, he has been for us and that we can worship and celebrate and lift our voices in praise to our God, our savior, our redeemer, and our king. May we worship him now.
Messiah.